All right, so we are in the series Unshakable. Who's enjoyed the first two messages in Unshakable? Unshakable joy and unshakable faith. And it felt like it was appropriate for us to talk about the subject of being unshakable because it has felt like during this time that things are not stable, that things are shakable. And you look around with the issue with George Floyd and the protest and the riots that's going on and everything seems to be on shaky ground. And so I feel like it's been so appropriate for us to talk about these subjects, that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a joy that the world cannot take from us. Why? Because we're in Christ. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a faith that the world and circumstances cannot shake because we are in Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about hope, unshakable hope. So as I was studying this week, getting ready for this message to talk about the subject of biblical hope and why we have hope, why we can have hope, I was reading an article, it was a couple of days after the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, and it was the police chief from Minneapolis. And when I went on the, the, the news site that I was on, to, on the website, the, the, the main article said, deficit, a deficit of hope, a deficit of hope. And I thought, wow, I'm going to check this out because I'm studying about hope. I want to preach about hope. Who's talking about a deficit of hope? And it was the police chief. His name is Madaria Arredondo. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But this is what he said. He said, I know that there is currently a deficit of hope in this city. And I know that as I wear this uniform before you, this department has contributed to that deficit of hope. But I will not allow us to continue to increase that deficit by re-traumatizing these folks in our community. A deficit of hope. And I believe that that is true. That in this situation in Minneapolis, in the situation in our country as a whole, that there is a lack of hope that people have currently in this life. And this is nothing new. This is not a new situation. This is nothing new. The situation of having a lack of hope has been around since the fall of humanity. That, that, that everyone who attempts to find hope in this temporary life will always live with a deficit of hope, will always lack hope. If you're placing all that you are into finding hope in this life, you will always come up with a deficit of hope. And now what the police chief is saying here is that because of the sinful actions of the police officers with George Floyd, it has created that deficit, has made that deficit come to the forefront. The deficit has always been there. Do you understand that? The lack of hope in a world today of people apart from Christ, it has always been there. But situations like what happened with George Floyd and others like him is it brings that deficit to the forefront of people's minds and they see it more clearly. And so it's all over the news. People lacking hope. Whether it's coronavirus, COVID-19, racial injustice, whatever the situation is, it brings the reality of what we actually have going on in our world today. We, We tend to ignore it, right? When we're not in a time of crisis, what do we do? We go about our regular life. We go about, we live our life, we do our things, we we, we go to our jobs, and we try to ignore the reality that the world around us does not have real hope. It's a deficit of hope. And continued negativity is causing people to lose the little hope that they are hanging on to. As believers in Jesus Christ, the same can be spoken of for us as well, is that whenever we are under the influence of continued negativity, 
It causes us to waver in the hope that we have in Christ. It causes us to think twice about the hope that we have and we begin to question, God, where are you? Why, God, why is this happening? And we need to be reminded today, and this is the point of this message, is that we have unshakable hope. And what we want to do is, is we want to get to Romans chapter, we want to get to God's word. That's where hope is found. It's not found in me giving great opinions and or, or ideas about how to get through this situation. I don't have any good ideas. I just have to tell you right now, your pastor has no good ideas apart from God's word. I just don't. I can't figure it out. I, I promise you that. But God's word is our answer. It is the anchor of our life as believers in Jesus Christ. And it is the only foundation for the answers that this world needs while they're living in the middle of a deficit of hope. And so we're going to look at Romans 8. And Romans 8, there's really three sections in Romans 8. Romans 8, what Romans 8 does is in this section, verses 18 through 25, it's really three sections of Scripture that break down into three realities. Follow me. Three realities in three sections of life that is lived in the in-between. Do you understand what I mean by the in-between? We live in the in-between. In-between redemption, forgiveness of sin, And ultimate, ultimate glorification in heaven. Redemption to heaven. We're in the in-between stage of the fall of man and ultimate redemption in heaven. And so in Romans 8, we see three sections and three realities of life lived in the in-between. And this is what I want us to do. I want us to go through each of those sections, each of those realities. And I want us to unpack what Romans 8 is going to remind us here today. So let's, let's read Romans 8. And if you don't mind, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word, Romans 8. This is God's words spoken to you today. Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word that speaks to us. And Lord, we want to learn from your word today about this issue of hope and where hope is found. And God, I ask that you would help me to open my mouth, help me to preach your word, and help me to exalt Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So there's three realities, three sections, three realities of a life lived in the in-between. The first reality is this. Futile, earthly pursuits will always be empty. Futile, earthly pursuits will always, always be empty. Look at what it said there in Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. 
Creation was subjected to futility. How was it subjected to futility? It was subjected to futility because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. And so from that point on, the earth is broken. The earth itself is under a curse. That's why the earth is decaying. That's why it is decaying. That's why it's not renewing itself. You know, as much as the world wants to try to Uh, As people want to try and save the world and renew the world, the world is in the process of decaying. And it says that the earth is subjected to futility. It is subjected to breaking down. It is breaking down. You know, we can only put a Band-Aid on things that are decaying. You can only put makeup on it. You can only try to prop it up. You know, and I am not for destroying our earth just for the sake of, of not caring about it. And I do believe in caring for our our environment and our earth, we've been entrusted with it. We should take care of it. But, you know, it's going to decay. You read the end of the book, it's actually going to burn. It's going to burn up one day. And so here's the reality that whenever we, as human beings, are born into a decaying world, born under the same curse, not only is the earth decaying, but we are decaying. I know this is kind of morbid for me to say this, but the moment that you're born is the moment you begin the process of death. You just don't know when. It's coming, but we don't know when. This is the reality of the futility that is a part of this life, a part of this earth, because of the brokenness of sin, because of the curse of sin. So so therefore, everything that comes out of the world, hear me, everything that comes out of the world is futile. Everything that comes out of the world is, is empty in its attempt to bring hope, ultimate real hope. Everything that comes out of the world is futile in its attempt to bring ultimate hope. 1 John 2 talks about this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is what? Passing away. It's decaying. It's passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what are some things that we as humans try to place our hope in? I'm talking about earthly things. What are things that we experience here today as human beings on planet Earth that we are tempted to think that if I will focus on these things that I'm going to find real hope, real contentment, and real fulfillment? What are some things? I gave some categories here. Relationships. People believe that if they have the right relationship, if I can find the right spouse, find the right girlfriend, find the right boyfriend, if I can have the right relationship, then I will finally find Hope. And if you're waiting for real hope in your life to find the right relationship, I'm telling you, you're going to be searching and searching and searching. And if you find somebody that you think is going to give you hope, you're going to be placing too many expectations on that person to do something they could never do. That person, uh, no human being and no relationship you can have can ever ultimately give you real hope. Do you believe that? What about earthly pleasures? How many ways in which do we seek pleasure in this earth? We seek it whether, whether it's through sexual pleasure or it's through entertainment and sports. Whatever the pleasure may be, whatever the escape that we try to escape to through earthly pleasures, we think that in these earthly pleasures we're going to find contentment and peace and joy and hope. But we know that it all fades away. Money and possessions. 
Positions and power. We think that by having money and possessions that we're going to be able to find hope. So I'm going to hope in the fact that my retirement account is secure and is stable. And, and as you've known, as you've noticed over the last 10 years, it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And if you're placing your hope in, in Social Security, if you're placing your hope in your retirement account, your bank account, your savings account, the current job that you have, we know that those things don't really bring hope. They're not good foundations for hope. Now, look, I want to say this. None of these things that I mentioned are sinful in and of themselves. God gives us relationships. And I'm thankful for my wife and my two daughters that are on the front row there. I'm thankful for them. God gave me those relationships, but they are not intended, nor can they ever really give me real hope in this life. And, and, and having pleasure in this life, enjoying a, a round of golf. I'm going to play golf tomorrow morning, and I'm going to love every second of it, especially if my golf ball goes straight and gets in the hole Sooner than later. I'm going to enjoy it. This is simple. The simple pleasures of life. God gives us those pleasures. He gives us earthly relationships. He gives us jobs to provide for our family. And we can buy possessions. We can buy things. And those things are not wrong. But if they become foundations of our attempt for hope in this life, they will be flawed foundations. They will be broken foundations. You know, there's a man in the Bible that many of you have heard of. His name is Solomon. Solomon had it all, did he not? If you studied the life of Solomon, you combine the wealth of since-deceased Steve Jobs and and Jeff Bezos. Maybe that's a good one to think of. He made Jeff Bezos look like nothing. You know, they say Jeff Bezos is about to be the first trillionaire. And Solomon had everything, and then he had wisdom on top of that. And he talked about all the things he accumulated and what it meant. Listen to Ecclesiastes 2. I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water, to irrigate my own flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of money, silver and gold, and the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and in many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, be, be, before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything that I wanted, I would take. I, des- I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work so as to, so, to so, 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 so hard to accomplish it. It was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And that's the picture of placing hope in earthly temporary things. This is what Romans 8 is saying. This is the first reality of life lived in the in-between. That temporary, futile, earthly things will always be empty. Solomon speaks to it. He says, I had it all. I pursued it all. I pursued every pleasure. I had everything that any man could ever want. And in the end, it, it was like what? Chasing the wind. It was like chasing the wind. You could never get a hold of it. And that's what our world is like. They're after something they can never 
get their hands on. It's a hope that isn't rooted in what they're chasing. You know, it's kind of like the movie The Patriot. Have you seen the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? I don't recommend it for any children because there's some uh, really gruesome war violence that's in there. But I will say this, I really do like that movie because I believe it really paints a good picture of what was fought for in the founding of this country. But here's what I'll say. In this movie, there's a great illustration of what Solomon talked about. Have you seen the opening scene with Mel Gibson? He's in there, the opening scene, he's in his barn and he's building a chair. And he takes the chair and the scene comes in there, he takes this wooden rocking chair. And he's hanging it on a scale. He's taking his care and his time to build this chair. He hangs it on the scale and you hear him say nine pounds. And he takes this chair that he's been crafting and working on and he sits it down. And he sits in the chair very slowly. You don't really realize why he's sitting in it slowly yet. You're going to find out here in a moment. But he sits very slowly. And he begins to rock slowly. And you can see he's like, okay. So far, so good. He's rocking in the chair. He gets this big grin on his face. And you know what happens, don't you? Boom, it all falls down and collapses and he gets up and he's angry and his kids are hiding around the corner watching. They're hiding because they know what's about to happen. His Mel Gibson, he picks up the chair and he throws it and the camera pans over to the left and there's a pile of other broken chairs right there. He throws this new broken chair over to the other pile of broken chairs and that is the same picture of a world looking for hope in things that aren't stable. It's the same picture. It's a broken chair again. Relationship for hope, it's a broken chair. Earthly pleasures for hope, it's like a broken chair. Every pursuit apart from Christ for a foundation for hope is like a broken chair. It will break every time and you'll throw the chair into a pile in the corner and you can make a memorial for all the things in your life that don't ultimately bring hope. And that is the reality. Jeremiah spoke of it in Jeremiah 2. He said that God's people had followed after idols and they had forsaken him. And he said that they had tried to dig out wells. Jeremiah 2.13, it says, They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water. They have dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So it's like a chair that is unstable. And it's like a well that has no water. This is what it's like to follow Empty pursuits of this life. We must not deceive ourselves into believing that hope for the future or fulfillment can be found in temporary earthly things. It's like looking for water in a broken well. It's like chasing the wind. And it's like sitting on an unstable chair that will eventually break. That's what it's like. That's the first reality of life in the in-between. Do you follow me here this morning? The second reality that we see is a result of this first reality. Because of this first reality of the brokenness we see all around us and the futile pursuits of trying to find hope in temporary things, the second reality, it comes home now. Look back at the text, Romans 8, 23. It says, not only the creation that was subjected to futility and is groaning, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? We ourselves who are born again, who have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The second reality is this. We have a deep longing for something better. Futile earthly pursuits will always end up in emptiness. But don't you have that same longing for something better? We have a deep longing for something better. And here's what I'll tell you. The brokenness all around us causes us to groan inwardly. If you look around the world today... 
And it causes you to stick your nose up at people. And it causes you to stick your nose up in judgment of people. I would tell you, you need to go before the Lord in prayer. What it should cause you to do is to say, oh God, heal this brokenness. That brokenness should cause a deep groaning in your heart and say, God, I long for something better. I want something better for, this, for, for, for people in this life. I want something better for those people. I want them to have the hope of the gospel. That brokenness should cause us to groan inwardly. We have a deep longing for a time when sin is no more, when riots are no more, when racial injustice is no more. We have a deep longing for that. No more sickness. We have a time. We, we long for the time of no more sickness, no more cancer, no more untimely diagnosis, no more untimely deaths, no more tears, no more heartache. And notice what the text says. If we go on in the text, if we re- read that again, it says we have this deep longing for that time. And it says here, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what's Paul saying there? In this second reality of life in the in-between, yes, we are longing. We have a deep groaning over the brokenness that we see. But we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for something more beautiful. We're waiting for the time when we will be fully redeemed. We're waiting for that time when the sin will be no more, pain will be no more. We're waiting for that time. Are you a good waiter? Do you wait better than I do? I'm not a good waiter. I don't have a lot of patience. I know there's, are, are there any other impatient people in the room this morning? Thank you for admitting that. We can have a, a, a session later on. I am a, I'm an impatient waiter. And, and really that, that impatience came to the forefront on January 7th, 2018. January 7th, 2018 at the Noel's house. Clyde and Teresa's house. I was there at your house, January 7th, 2018. Do you remember what we were doing? I bet you Clyde does. No, you don't. Have no clue. Figured you might have an idea, but you'll start figuring it out. The Saints were playing. And then, you know, the, the Noels record every game they watch. For some reason, they don't, want, they don't like to watch live sports. They want to record it. So they record their games. And so we had, they had invited us to come and watch the Saints playoff game. January 7th, 2018, the Saints are playing uh, a scam. I mean, Cam Newton uh, and the Carolina Panthers um, in the playoffs, a wild card round. And the game was a close. Well, the Saints were winning for a while. And it became close towards the end. And here we have the fourth quarter. And the Carolina Panthers get the ball. The Saints are up 31-26, a touchdown. The Saints lose the game. And so it's pre-recorded now. I don't know what's happened. All of you who didn't pre-record it, you knew what was happening. We, we, were, we were in the dark. I was in the dark, and I could not handle it. Somehow there was a pause. I don't know. We paused it for some reason, and I got up, and I went to the bathroom. It was paused at 4th and 26th. I got up, went to the bathroom with my phone, pretended to use the bathroom, looked at my phone, and I saw that they had sacked Cam Newton on the final play, and the Saints had won. Put my phone in my back pocket. Are you just realizing that? Put my phone in my back pocket, came into the living room, sat down with the rest of the family, and pretended I had no clue. Is that disqualifying for me as a pastor? I don't know. (laughs) But you know what happened? When they sacked him, I jumped up with everybody and celebrated like I had just found out. Because I couldn't wait. I I am an impatient waiter. I don't like to wait. And when we're waiting for redemption, we're waiting for things to be made better, sometimes we can get so overwhelmed and say, Lord, how long, oh Lord? 
How long until this is fixed? How long until you come down and make things right? John Bloom, who writes for DesiringGod.org, he puts it like this. One of the most profoundly comforting things about Scripture is how it reveals God's compassion for us impatient waiters. He knows that he can appear slow to us. He knows that at times we're going to feel like he's forgotten us and is hiding his face from us. He knows that as he patiently works out his purposes, we will experience circumstances so difficult and confusing that we cry out in bewildered pain. God, how long? How long, long, O Lord? And you know, if you look to Scripture to find compassion, you need to look no further than Jesus himself. Look at Matthew chapter 9 to see the compassion of Christ for us impatient waiters, for us broken people. Matthew 9, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He went to Homa. He went to Shobah. He went to Shriver. He went to Berg. He, he's, he's looking in Berg. He's looking in Galliano. Where, where else do you live? Raceland, Gray. He's going. He's looking in all the cities. Going around, looking at all the cities, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, he's going to all these cities where we live. And when he sees us, when he sees the crowds, he looks up, he sees humanity. He has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's our Lord. He's full of compassion for us as impatient waiters. He has compassion for us. He loves us and he he wants us to to have hope in the middle of this in-between time. The middle of this Christian life that can be described as already but not yet. That's the Christian life. It can be described simply as already but not yet. That's the Christian life. Already we're redeemed. Already we're forgiven. Already we are new creations in Christ. Already we have new desires. Already we're in the body of Christ. Already we can experience love with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ already, but not yet are our bodies redeemed, but not yet are we free from temptation. Do you long for the day where you'll be free from temptation? Not yet. Not yet are we free from sin and the the terrible pain that it causes. We know that this life is not it. We know that as good as the experiences that the Lord blesses us with, we know that this is not our best life. Something far more beautiful, something far more glorious, something beyond human understanding is waiting for us as believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that this spiritual reality is an event that we're moving towards. And what is the event? 1 Corinthians 15 verses 53 and through 56, it says, For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. How are we going to have ultimate victory in the in-between but also forever? It's through the gospel. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for the in-between time. The gospel is the answer. It is the better that we're longing for. Do you understand that? 
It's the better that we're longing for. We have the spiritual realities of the gospel at work in our lives as Christians. But we are living in the middle of a society that does not have those same realities at work in their life. We see it every day. And we see it on the news now today. And I want to tell you this. Don't let the culture force you as a believer into a polarized position right now. Don't let the culture force you into a polarized position right now. We have one position as a church. One position is the position of the gospel. The gospel is the answer. And the world wants to polarize you on one side and be a part of their group and fight for those things. And the other side wants you to be a part of their group and fight for their things. We cannot be polarized. We have one position as a believer is that we believe that Jesus is better. We believe that Jesus is greater and we believe that Jesus is the answer to every situation that we face in this earth, to all the brokenness that we see. Have that position. Stand in that position. The gospel is the answer. Do you believe that today? Do you believe it? Yeah? The gospel is the answer because it points to the reality that all of us are made in the image of God. The gospel is the answer. Why did that man not pick up his knee off the neck of George Floyd? Because he didn't have a revelation that that, that, that brother on the ground was made in the image of God. The gospel is the answer. It, re, it returns humanity to the dignity of human life. But it also reveals to us that humanity is broken. And that's the answer to those that are anarchists, that are destroying property just for the sake of, of, of destroying property. It's because they're sinful and they're broken, and, and, and that's what they're going to do because their nature is moving them in that direction. The gospel is the answer. It's the answer in every situation we find ourselves in. It's the answer. No one is better. No one is more deserving. The gospel says that all of us are guilty and fall short of the glory of God. We have one position. It's a position that Jesus is the answer in this in-between time. This groaning, this longing for something better that we have because we do have eternal hope in Christ. That groaning, that longing for redemption is what the world needs to experience. They need to experience the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen thirteen says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. How are you going to abound in hope? How are you going to be abounding in hope? By believing. Did you see that? Romans fifteen thirteen. That by believing. In believing, then you will abound in hope. Believing in what? That Jesus is God. Believing that he died on the cross. Believing that on the third day he rose again. Believing in the truth of the gospel. And if you're here today and you not placed your hope in Christ. And you're pursuing earthly things for temporary hope. I pray that you will turn to Christ. And find the only source of true hope. So, so we're going to move on here now to our third reality. As we seek to conclude here. Futile earthly pursuits will always be empty. And we have a deep longing for something better. 
And here's the third reality. Unshakable hope can never be centered on what we see. Unshakable hope can never be centered on what we see. Look back at the text in Romans 8. Paul continues, For in this hope, the hope of eternity, for in this hope, the hope of redemption, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. It's obvious, right? Hope is about the future. If you're hoping in what is seen, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Who places his hope in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul reminds us that hope, real hope, can never be focused on what we see. Who sets their hope in what they see? Who tries to find hope in this temporary life? Unshakable hope is centered on eternal realities. Unshakable hope is centered on the promises of Christ in Scripture. Unshakable hope is centered on the promises of Christ in Scripture. Listen to what Romans 15.4 says. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Unshakable hope is founded on the promises of God in Christ as revealed through His Word. So when we think about hope for the future, what does the Scripture tell us? What does the Scripture tell us about the future for those who are in Christ? Look at Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven. This is coming one day. And a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That time is coming. This is the promise of scripture. This is the promise of Christ in the word of God. And he who has seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You looking for hope? You got to look in Christ. Got to look to Christ. You got to look to his word. There is a time coming where every tear will be wiped away. Death will be no more. No more mourning. No more pain. No more pandemics. No more injustice. No more racial tension. No more riots. When all things will be made new. But in the middle ground, in this waiting In the pain, we look to Christ. We look to the Lord. We say, Lord, how long, O Lord? How long? We keep our eyes up. You know, I told the Homer Christian graduates on Friday night. I believe it was Friday night. Friday night. Spoke to the graduates and I told them that at Homer Christian school, they're going to teach you a lot of lessons at Homer Christian school. They're going to try to prepare you for college and they're going to get you ready for going to college and pursuing the career that God's called you to, but there's one lesson the Homer Christian School is going to teach you and that you must always remember. You know, the, the, the old saying is that you've got to put your head down and you've got to plow through and work hard in this life. And I believe that what Homer Christian teaches is the opposite of that, is that you actually have to keep your eyes up looking to Christ. And that that is the greatest lesson, that in this in-between time, in this life, When you do graduate high school and you graduate college and you go out into this life, there's going to be challenges that you're going to face and you must keep your eyes up, not down. Keep them up. Keep them looking to Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. 
As we conclude here this morning, I was reminded of the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is a, is a lament poem. Have you ever lamented something in your life? Do, 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 do you know what it means to lament? It's Romans 8. It's a deep groaning. It's an inward groaning. It's a deep groaning in your heart about circumstances that you're facing. So what was happening when Lamentations was written? The children of God, the people of God, Israel, had been exiled from Jerusalem, from their homeland. And they were captured by the Babylonian armies. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was captured and they were shipped off to Babylon. And so the writer of Lamentations, which is Jeremiah, there's really three chapters here where there's a declaration, there's a cry, there's a lamenting about the people of God being in exile. There's a lamenting about the brokenness all around them. In chapter 1, Jerusalem is personified as the daughter of Zion. And the daughter of Zion is declaring, Look, O Lord, on my distress. The city's destruction was like the death of a loved one. The daughter of Zion, this is what Israel was like. Like the daughter of Zion crying out in in distress, and that's chapter 1. Look, Lord, on my distress. Chapter 2 is the description of the fall of Jerusalem and the wrath of God because of Israel's rebellion against God. And so it's the declaration of the wrath of God coming on the children of Israel because of their rebellion against God. And then we get to chapter 3. It's the only chapter in Lamentation where there is hope. Read Lamentation. It's the only chapter where there is actually hope being declared. And in Lamentations 3, it is the cry of a weeping man. Like Romans 8. The person groaning inwardly for redemption. It's the cry of a weeping man. God's judgment is everywhere. And pain is everywhere. But God's wrath and his judgment is the seedbed of hope. And the weeping man in chapter 3 cries out. We are like the exiles in Babylon. We're like the daughters of Zion crying out, God, look on our distress. Look at this world today, God. Look at the brokenness. See our brokenness. Our loved ones are dying. We see the judgment of God and the sinfulness of man playing out all around us. Oh, God, just like in chapter 2, we see it everywhere. And we are like the weeping man from chapter 3. We're crying out, God, how long, oh, Lord? How long will this linger? But in the middle of all of that, there is still hope. And Lord, we call on your name. And that's what you see in Lamentations 3. Listen as we end Lamentations 3. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then it shifts. But this I call to mind. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of what the weeping man called to mind. Therefore he has hope. What does he call to mind? 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Even the impatient waiters. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Amen. God, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the the reality of Romans 8, what it speaks to our heart in the middle of this time where our world has lost its hope. God, I pray that we would always return to your word for truth. That we would not look to the right or to the left. We would not look to the talking heads. But that we would look to the only person that is worthy of our trust. And the only person that can bring true hope, Lord. And that is you. God, I pray that even in the middle of our groaning and our longing for something better. That we would remind ourselves that we would call this to mind. Great is your faithfulness. That your mercies are new every morning. That in you we have hope. And God, I pray that we can be a beacon of light as the body of Christ in the middle of chaos in our culture today. That we can point everyone to the reality of the gospel. Where true, unshakable hope is found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I will see you next week.